Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. Conquering Toxic Passivity is a course that's been developed for my clients who are in emotionally abusive relationships where they find that no matter what they do, um, they can't get out. These are for, this is for people who cycle through an abusive relationship. The abuse happens, they choose to leave, they try to leave, and then they end up getting back with the same person again and again. Even if they split up with that person, they then end up with another person who's just as abusive as the last one. Um, So this becomes what I would call a state of toxic passivity. You're hoping that things are gonna get better, even when all the evidence stacks up to say that it just isn't. Codependent is a useful term, but it's not clinical. When we use a term to define a problem, we restrict the solutions we can have for the problem. So if I say your problem is codependency, then you'll go, oh, I just need to solve codependency. This is much, much broader than that. And I wanted to try and find a way of including the problems we're seeing at a societal level as well. Um, which I think toxic passivity is a better term for it. And at a cultural and a national level, I think we've fallen into like an emotionally abusive pattern with our politicians, with our governments. Um, And you have people who are just waiting for them to present solutions when we have a stack of evidence that say that they can't. I think this is the net effect of a really extreme version of consumerist culture. We've been brainwashed into being consumers. We've been brainwashed into literally a state of passivity where you just consume and receive. You're either eating junk food or you're eating junk media. And um, it's bred in as a kind of entitlement, um, a lack of resilience, um, broad scale narcissism now. Narcissism is going to become a meaningless term because due to social media and toxic passivity. Everybody's a fucking narcissist now, so it doesn't really mean anything. Everybody's completely obsessed with themselves and the surface of what they can convey to the world. In that environment, um, abusive relationships flourish. And we've seen like this huge spike in the number of reports of people saying they're in emotionally abusive relationships. So the Conquering Toxic Passivity course is to help the individual break that cycle and break out of it. And my hope would be that maybe to present some kind of a solution for what we can do at a broader scale as well. I'm trying all the time to upgrade what I'm doing with the Spartan Life Coach Project. I'm trying to make everything slicker and faster. Um, The idea with the courses that have come out in the last two years specifically that go back to the time before the last time I came to America is to sort of, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, is get rid of you all in the sense that you just won't need to listen to me anymore. That's the end goal, that's the idea. I don't wanna keep going around and around the houses. Uh, I suspect most of the people in this room have done some kind of therapy or counseling before. And it goes on for years and you progress very, very slowly or you get re-traumatized and go backwards, lol. Uh, No refunds though. And uh, the the reason why that happens, I think, is because, Well, you know, the most cynical reason is there's a very, very easy way of making money, which is to tell vulnerable people that there's a solution in them talking and talking about their problems. And they kind of feel like there is. It goes back to the Catholic model of the priest and the confessional. There is a dopamine release in telling your story, which is something we need to get into tonight because it's addictive and it doesn't help you. It actually greases the groove of the neural pathways of, uh, and it continues to, uh, to re-traumatize. Welcome. And the other reason, um, aside from just the, like the, the money-making side of it, is we live inside of language. We literally live inside of linguistics. 
We create the world through words. So if you go into a room with another adult, in a, which is a, it's a weirdly intimate experience, which is traumatic in its own way, and in that intimacy and in that trauma, new neural pathways are laid down. Freud knew this, by the way. Freud knew this very well. He, was, he came from the, he, uh, of the age of the original hypnotists. So in hypnotism originally, um, back in the day, they were all about just getting people in, into an altered state. Those of you who are aware of how Freud would typically do um, analysis, it would be you would, you would lie down in a leather chair. Now, if you understand anything about psychology and hypnosis in particular, if I get you to lie down and then I sit behind you where you can't see me and say, tell me about your mother, and you start talking, you go into a trance. Now, the only question we have is, is it a good trance or a bad trance? I got asked about hypnosis the other day as though sometimes people are in hypnosis and sometimes they're not. We're all in trance all the time. You only get to choose whether it's a good or a bad one. Uh, most therapy and counseling is a bad trance. What went wrong in your childhood? And then they said, and I felt, and he did, and then this happened, and you're reliving it, and the therapist is reliving it, and then you both become sick eventually which is what happens to uh, psychoanalysts over time, is they eventually kill themselves. The only, the only profession that has a higher suicide rate is dentistry, dentists and psychoanalysts, and it's hypnosis, because you're, being, you're, you're invoking these negative scenarios again and again. So what I have tried to do as consciously as possible with the YouTube videos is to do a different kind of hypnosis. They're effectively, like if you've listened to four hours, these are suggestions, they're loaded with suggestions to take you out of a bad trance and into a better one. That's all I can offer. I can't really detrance people. That would be like the next course when we start doing enlightenment and that kind of thing where you pop your third eye open. Right For right now, out of the bad trance into the good trance is, is good enough. This particular course that we're looking at today, um, I'm gonna give it to you in, uh, in three sections and I'm gonna give you a break in between each section. You will not ingest it all today. There's too much, way too much try and re-ingest it again. It'll take three or four goes for it to sink in. There's exercises that will go with it as well that I'll give to you. The way we define the problem, because we live inside of language, defines how we create the solution. Codependency is a useful term. It's a useful way of talking about it. I will still talk in terms of codependency on the YouTube videos, because otherwise I'll have to give a five minute mini seminar every time I want to use a different term. But what has started to happen is a kind of a word freeze where we've gotten stuck inside of a certain reality tunnel through thinking in terms of being codependent. How many of you think that you've been in an emotionally abusive relationship? Just show of hands. Okay, so most people, how many people have been uh, in therapy for that? Okay, most people. I wanted to find uh, a way of thinking about this that broke out, that breaks open the problem so that we can start being a little bit more creative and finding a solution for it. My uh, background is predominantly before psychology was martial arts and philosophy, the philosophy of martial arts. I was deep, deep into it in my teen years. You're all aware of uh, Chinese philosophy, uh, Taoism. The, um, my experience of that was through a Japanese lens. So in Japan, it's very, very common and in Korea as well. The ancient Chinese way of doing things is seen as like a superior way of getting things done. So they'll use old philosophical texts. So I had this idea of um, passivity and a, a toxic kind of passivity. 
Now, in terms of um, toxicity, I can spell. Yay. In terms of uh, a Taoist way of looking at things, you can have yin, which is receiving, which is yielding. Don't get caught up in this masculine, feminine thing. It's horseshit. I was never trained that, but I've heard it repeated so many times that I actually have spoken to a guy uh, just a month ago who's a doctor of Chinese philosophy, he has a PhD in Chinese philosophy. This is his job. He teaches Qigong and he teaches Chinese philosophy to double check. When, they, when it's translated, so you've heard of like yin yoga. We're in California. How many of you have done yin yoga? Pretty cool, right? So that is then considered to be feminine, but it's not in Chinese philosophy. It's not men, man, woman. It's not divided like that. You have yang, which is assertive. This is dark and yielding. This is assertive and light. Dark and light do not mean good and evil. That doesn't exist in Chinese philosophy. A very famous public intellectual keeps saying that yin is feminine and represents chaos. He is wrong. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about on this subject. On other subjects, he's a very intelligent man, but he keeps using the word chaos and saying it's equated to, uh, to the feminine. He's not, like the way he's, he's imbibed the information is he skim-rebbed, he skimmed the right books. And they did, in the 1930s and 1940s translations, say feminine and chaos. But the word, it's an English issue. This used to mean potentiality. Now it only means something bad. So if something was in the realm of chaos, if you were like, you know, in the early 1900s and you would speak of the realm of chaos, it would also mean the realm in which things had not yet occurred. Please stay with me. This is entirely relevant to you. <laughs> we need to do the mystical stuff first. So it's potentiality. So this is that which could be but is not yet. It doesn't mean the fracturing of order, which the great Ayatollah from Canada seems to think it is. And it would only be stopped if you would all wear burqas. I don't know what your problem is. So this idea of it being chaos is, is false. It's a misunderstanding, but that you will see it in books. You'll see it in books from 1930s, 1940s, and they say chaos. But they don't mean chaos as we would understand it now. So yin, this is now my idea. This is not Chinese philosophy can either be expressed in a way that is benign or malignant. Same as in the yang. It can either be uh, um, weak, there's another way of saying it, or it can be strong. So when it is malignant, you end up with toxic passivity. So when I'm saying passivity, I'm really talking Chinese mythology here. You all, I'm sure you're all aware, in Chinese medicine, this concept goes into uh, the organs in your body and your personality. It's, a, it's, it's deep. It's a very, very intricate system. So when somebody is too yin with not enough yang, they become weak and passive. When it is toxic because it's rooted in abuse, they become not just weak and passive, but you start to look at people developing patterns of behavior that are highly manipulative that are built in resentment, philosophies of resentment, philosophies of, um, a, uh, so it would, it would be like what Nietzsche called, um, no, Nietzsche was talking about resentiment. So what you do is you identify somebody who's done it to you. 
That's what we have in the online narcissism community right now. You didn't come here to hear about Nietzsche, I know. But what we have in the online narcissism community is um, verging on a mass psychosis. I know a lot of you involved in the, in the Facebook groups and the YouTube channels. And what I'm going to say is take a break from everything, including from me. Because yin is receiving. It's uh, in our mythology, in the West, in the tarot, which is tarot is as close as you're going to get to Chinese mythology. If you know your tarot, you have the cups, um, the suit of cups, which is a receptacle. And then on this side, you would have swords. We're going to move from mysticism and psychology into a minute. But it's, I give you this because it makes it easier to remember. Okay, So if we're receiving all the time, you start to become excessively yin. So, and it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Your plumbing doesn't have anything to do with this. If you think, as I did for years, the solution is going to come from somebody putting it into you and giving it to you, oh, sir, you're wrong. It can't. That is a pathological response. It's a pathological hope, and it's toxic. It's toxic. You're being hopeful. So hope is good, but... When you um, hope that somebody is going to come along and fix it for you, instead of taking a decision and taking action, you are in toxic passivity. So let's do uh, where this can come in at a, a, a cultural level. Receiving and only receiving is uh, consumerism. So we are indoctrinated this way. It makes sense. If you have a nation of 360 million people who are armed, you should fear the nation, right? If you, same, we have the same problems in the UK. So you need people passive. You need people consuming. You need them feeding into the economy. And you need them paying taxes. So what you do is you put ideology into them from an early age through the TV, through media, through the education system. This breeds a mindset of, I can't do it. They'll do it for me. Who's they? Well, if you're smart, you'll keep it ill-defined. Your teachers, uh, the church, your parents, the government. Because all of this is falling apart, by the way, that's why we see the problems we have in society now, because nobody believes in it. So we're actually indoctrinated in our timelines, yours and mine timelines, trust higher authority. But we've reached an age where all higher authority has deteriorated. You would have to be... You would either need, you'd need some kind of incredible faith to still turn to your churches now when you have seen what churches do. You'd need some kind of incredible faith to turn to politicians or teachers or fucking self-help gurus on YouTube when you have seen the feet of clay. It's, it, nobody does. So where do you turn to when you've been trained into? So we've all been trained, just wait. Help is on its way. Don't you do it. Somebody's going to do it for you. And then... 30, 40 years later, oh, sorry about that. Nobody's fucking coming. So everybody's panicking. Everybody's in a state of panic. If you think about the people who shaped the world, um, from the British Empire to uh, the origins of America, do you think the people who shaped America? Oh, we'll just wait. We'll just see. Now, these are, I'm not saying they're great guys. Some of them maybe were, some of them maybe weren't. It was a different time and a different mindset. But this country wasn't built on this. 
It wasn't. Okay, there's some of them are murderous psychopaths, of course, because if you go out of, um, if you go from um, malignant over here, you have basically, um, what would it be? It would be like a malignant level of assertiveness. Well, a malignant level of assertiveness says he has a thing, a shiny thing. I want that shiny thing. But if I ask him for it, he'll say no. I know, I'll kill him. And then he can't say no. And then I have the shiny thing. That would be a malignant level of yang. So it would be bullying, uh, psychopathy, you know, just taking, murder, that kind of thing. What we're looking for is benign. We want something that is assertive and that is fair and that is honest. And you might think, I am assertive, I am fair, I am honest. If you're in here right now, it's really unlikely. Well, most of you probably know you're not that assertive. Fair, it's hard to be fair if you're a codependent. You guys are familiar with Dr. Saeed, most of you will be. He, he goes in depth into codependents becoming very, very angry and very, very bitter and resentful. We can't, you, it's impossible to do fair if you're not stating what you want up front because that's not fair. That's why we have a thing called contracts. So what we do, because we are over here, stuck in um, a malignant state of toxic passivity, you can't ask for what you want here. You can never ask directly for what you want. You can't just say, this is the thing I'm going for, because that's not how you get things done. You can't assert yourself. So what you end up with is hoping or whining. Or, it's true, it's whining. People just whine. You see babies do it, right? So I'm hanging around with babies for the last month, and I'm like, wow, they're really manipulative. <laughs> because if they want something, they're not like, hey, dude, uh, could you just like bring me some milk right now? Because I really, <laughs> really want some milk. They're like, fuck you, ah! <laughs> my, uh, my little nephew, who's two, it, he's not allowed to go outside of his uh, yard. So what he'll do is he'll bring a car, and he'll go, hand, so I give him my hand, and he'll be, pretend he wants to show me the car, and he'll pull me outside the yard. He'll be like, Look at this. Out the yard you go, massive human. Because if he goes with me, he's allowed out the yard. He's really smart, really, really clever. Like hand, car, and I'm like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I can see him making these decisions inside of his head. He like looks at me, and then his eyes glaze over, and the computer downloads, and then he goes, I know what to do. I'll get a ball, throw it out the yard, and then this stupid adult has to go and... So we learn from a very, it's natural to manipulate. It's natural, but it's, it's childlike. You're supposed to get to a point where you move beyond that and just say, okay, that's not what I want. This kind of whining, wailing, making a fuss, um, demanding, being entitled has generated what we now see, which is a huge victimhood culture. This uh, is a great, great poison in society. This is a great, great poison. We are in uh, an academic institution. These places are being destroyed from the inside out by victimhood culture. If you speak to, are any of you academics? There are, if you're interested in this, um, I can put you in places where academics are talking to each other about this, particularly in universities. Because in school, you still have a little bit of official license to say, shut up or I'll put you in detention. You can't do that in university. Everybody who hands in a paper late has some medical condition or mental health condition that they got off YouTube, who's helping with that, that they've heard of, and the, the um, 
the lecturers can't do anything about it. The professors can't do anything about it. Like, well, what do we do? So victimhood culture comes from this toxic passivity, which I'm saying at a cultural level is actually the end result of consumerism. It was a lazy way of doing governance. How should we govern people? Should we lead from the front and go, come, people, let us move forward with these ideals and our objectives, let's go? Well, some did. They did, and some of them got their heads shot off for trying to do that. And the easier way of doing it is actually just pacify everybody. Pacify everybody, then you won't be put on the spot and move people forward like that. That model is directly related to family units. I can either lead by example and move forward in the family unit, or I can lead through pacifying, through threats, and through making people receptive and obedient. Most of you um, who are here who identify as codependents, who came in being like, okay, I'm a codependent, probably were overparented. Highly strict parenting, very, very rigid rules, harsh punishments, it creates a passive mindset. Because every time you would have asserted yourself and made a decision and tried to take action, it would have, lent, it would have um, ended up being punished. Over time, the central nervous system learns, okay, if I do something simple like I see the watch, I want to step towards the watch and take it, I'm going to be punished for that. You wouldn't think about that consciously. Like nobody in here has the ability to consciously think, oh yeah, that's what's happening inside of my head. However, what I would suggest is notice how when you start trying to get your life together, you go into a cascading series of flashbacks and everything fucking falls apart every time you try and do that. If you've seen that time and again, I would suggest that's a throwback to um, a childhood where that kind of trauma has been put in place. You're basically, you know, it's a narcissistic, psychopathic parenting style. The thing of cutting off your children's legs to stop them from running away from you is, if you're interested, more associated with borderline personality disorder. There is a great terror amongst borderline parents of their children abandoning them, so they'll hamstring them, not literally. I, I hope, though, though that probably does happen sometimes, but at the psychological level. So making decisions is hard. How many of you struggle to make decisions? How many of you find that you make decisions that suck? <laughs> Look back three months later and go, what the fuck did I do that for? Because the decision-making part of the brain is probably misfiring a little bit. And making a decision is probably hitting me with emotional flashbacks. The emotional flashbacks are warping my perception and they're guiding me in certain directions. So we have benign yin. Benign yin uh, would be meditation. Um, it would be the uh, space that is held in uh, a coaching or a healing relationship. It would be um, provision of a place of healing or protection. That would be benign yin. Malignant yin is, as I've said, it's resentful, it's manipulative, it's whining, and the way, the version that we have right now is uh, very entitled. I don't think that that is part of uh, the essential nature of yin that's gone wrong. I think that's actually just consumer capitalism. We get all the things. You don't, so here's the trade-off. You don't get to choose how to live your life. That's gone, forget that. Your will, I'm taking your will. But what you get is Facebook, Instagram, porn, stuff, trainers, McDonald's, whatever else. That's the, that's the trade-off. The sad thing is it never happened in any of our lifetimes. This was a contract that was made generations ago. 
non-consciously, of course. Nobody actually deliberately said that because if they did, there would have been a civil war. There would have been an uprising. Um, but this is, this is how it is. So we have two sources of this problem of toxic passivity. One will be in the home, in the family of origin. And the other one is just cultural. So here's an idea for you. If this goes against the, um, uh, the family training and it's against the cultural grain, how can you do this? I'm going to claim that actually being in a state of benign assertiveness or um, self-interested action has covertly become a cultural taboo. So if you actually want to decide to do something, to decide that there is a thing that you want and go after it, honestly and openly, you're breaking a major taboo. So even if you don't have CPTSD, you're going to feel anxious because you're breaking from the tribe. Because our tribe now is a bunch of do-nothing consumers. And if you start going, oh, well, those people in this room have got the experience. I'm going to put a business together, are you? I'm going to be a musician. Fucking are you? We'll see about that. We'll fucking see about that, mate. How many, how many of my friends who I grew up with think, do you think are happy to see me do what I'm doing? They hate it. They can't hang around with me. They, they, they just can't do it. And I'm like, well, I'm only trying to help people. You know, That's all I'm trying to do. But they don't like it because it was a decisive, sovereign action that was taken with consistency over time. And it's yielded good results. It yields good karma. This is always going to yield bad karma, by the way. Covert contracts, pushing into people into relationships they don't want to be in, being unclear with what you want, using manipulation, guilt-tripping people, all of that is the worst kind of karma you can imagine. I think from the, uh, from, I'm going to be woo for a second, from a spiritual point of view, the kind of pain that you get coming out of a quote-unquote narcissistically abusive relationship is probably on some level bad karma. It's accumulated negative karma because we've come from manipulation, not through conscious choice, not through conscious choice, through indoctrination, but it's still bad karma and it still sucks. The positive side of this is because you've never, probably never had the chance to just be in self-interested action, you'd never have known how good it could be because there'll be very few people in this room who have been in a relationship that was formulated from this space of just benign assertiveness. There is, I like you, and this is what I want from you. And this is how I think it could be. What do you think? Put your cards on the table, be an adult, be boundaried, and see what happens. That might lead to a positive outcome I read once in a book. Not tried it myself yet. <laughs> Maybe in six months' time, I'll come back with a happy story for you. Um, but I would imagine that this would work. For me right now, this is going into my business. This is, this is what I'm doing in my business. I'm doing it in my family relationships. I'm doing it in my personal relationships as much as I can. It's life-changing stuff. But it is hard. This for me personally was a challenge for the year, overcome codependency. And then the year went on and I went, this isn't just codependency. What I have is, is more than codependency. My whole ability to interact with reality is damaged. It's damaged through this and this family of origin shit and cultural shit. I was relieved and amused to find a, a client of mine has worked with Pete Walker. 
And Pete Walker told him that he, to this day, when he walks into a table, he apologizes to the table. He says, I'm sorry. That's, that's codependency. That's toxic passivity. So for me, this is where I'm trying to move towards. But I'm not like your guru here going, hey, I've been doing this for years. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to do this. It's kind of working well. I recommend it highly. But where we need to watch out for is um, where it can tip into this. And a lot of this comes down to intent. So if you're going to be assertive, if you're actually going to engage in self-interested action, you must have resolved your emotional flashbacks. That's really, really crucial. You've got to have resolved the emotional flashbacks. And you must have developed your literacy. I would say your emotional literacy should be at like a blue belt standard. White belt, yellow belt, orange belt, green belt, blue belt, brown belt, black belt. That's quite high. Blue belt standard. You've got to be pretty fucking solid. That means if you feel an emotion, you need to be aware I'm feeling an emotion. And you need to know where that emotion is coming from and be okay with it. If you feel sad, you feel sad, and that's okay. If you feel like shit, you feel like shit, that's okay. It's just a feel. If you're angry, you're angry, whatever it is. If you don't, this will be hard to impossible. This is the horrible double bind that we're in. Because if the emotional flashbacks and the, uh, are not resolved and the emotional literacy isn't brought up, every time you make a decision, you'll go into a flashback. Every time you try and take action, it'll come through a reality tunnel of warped perception because emotional, flash, emotional flashbacks make your emotions do this all the time, which totally warps perception. People who you think are your friends, who you're taking on as allies, are not your friends. People who you think are your enemies that you're lashing out at, they're not your enemies. At least, at least, there's all kinds of shit that gets involved in this. So, when people come to me and it's coaching time, and they say, I want you to tell me about my relationship with my sister. I think she's a covert narcissist. She did this, she did money off, blah, 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 blah. And I'll look at them and I'll go, well, I'm not fucking psychic. So I don't know, but I can see the human being in front of me. It's flashbacking like fuck. It comes through your eyes. It comes through your breathing. It comes through everything. And I can see as you're describing the story, the emotional flashback kicks in. It's a program that gets running and it gets going and there's energy that comes from it. This is another reason why storytelling gets addictive and I'm very concerned with it. I'm very concerned with storytelling being the way we do counseling and psychotherapy. It's addictive because we actually trigger our own emotional flashbacks and get stuck on them. We get addicted to our own negative feelings. You don't just get addicted to positive feelings. That's how the social media shit works. The social media, by the way, I did that documentary, and I was like, was talking about uh, social media gets you addicted to your dopamine, your serotonin. It gives you a false sense of intimacy, which activates oxytocin. It's way worse than that. It's actually activating adrenaline and cortisol, and that's more addictive because it's more powerful than the serotonin. They figured this out years ago. That's why everybody started arguing about politics on Facebook. They are somewhat responsible for the shit we're in now. They deliberately aggravated people knowing it would keep them arguing. It's addictive, because like Eckhart Tolle says, if I'm right, I've made you wrong, and that feeds my ego, and da da da. You know, so I think that's deliberate. Well, we know it's deliberate. We know it's deliberate, and it was done by age group. So, though everybody in this room, it was done to us. It wasn't done to the kids. They gave up on the kids. The kids were leaving Facebook in droves and going to Tumblr and, and, and Instagram, so they were like, holy shit, well, we need a certain number of eyeballs on screen for a certain number of time, because that's how they sell 
advertising space. Like, well, we have a million views every fucking second all over the world. They need to keep our eyeballs on the screen. What's a great way of doing that? Flame war. Just have a big, juicy fight over something dumb that you cannot resolve. You know, and what is, what's the end result of that? What's the end result of us working for those corporations without permission? Which is what we do, by the way. When you use social media, you work for them for free. The end result of that is a fractured society. Families falling out with each other over politics. It's 2019. In 2012, I couldn't get anybody to talk about politics. Nobody gave a shit. The apathy about politics was like, I don't know, they're a bunch of toffs. They're just rich people. They play their games. It's fake cynicism. But people go, oh, they play their games. They always have. It doesn't matter. We can't do anything. Now, you bring up politics with people, and they'll be like, oh, what's, what team are you on? What team are you on? Maybe it's on the other team. Like, maybe I'm on both teams. What then? And it's, uh, it's really, really bled over into the real world. Like, people fight over it. Like I say, families have fallen out over it. The last time I was here in America, I've been, I'm interested in America because I've been doing business here since uh, 2006. So I've been working with Americans more than any other nation um, uh, in the last however long, 13 years. And the last time I came here, I was watching a, a news program and they were interviewing a guy who's he'd become a multimillionaire and his job was rehousing people. Because if you're a Republican, you don't want to live next to a bunch of goddamn liberal hippies. So he'd move them. And if you're a liberal, you don't want to be next to these disgusting, racist, horrible Republicans. So he'd move them to a housing area where they would never have to talk to anybody who wasn't of the same political persuasion as them. That was 18 months ago. The guy's a multimillionaire. He'd been doing it for years. That is scary. We cannot tolerate an opposing point of view. This is toxic passivity. That is not strength. That is not strength at all. You know, I have my political views, but I like to debate. You have a different set of views. Let's chat. I'm probably going to learn something. If you're smart, I'm going to learn something. I listen to people from the other team all the time. I enjoy it. It's good fun. They're wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. But this is how it used to be. It used to be, you know, uh, the idea was that you would debate with an objective, and that would be for the collective good. Now it's my team wins, fuck everything else. That's not good. That's not a good state for us to be in. So. In your life, what I'm gonna, in the next two sections I'm gonna be looking at is trying to install the ability for you to feel comfortable with taking self-interested action from a position of what it is that you want. How many of you struggle to know what it is that you want? Oh God. We only have two, it's gonna be a long night. We're gonna be here till about midnight, I'm sorry guys. Um, right, those of you who put your hands up, um, your emotional flashback work, you, you must commit to this. And this, okay, how should I put it? You, this, whatever you do in terms of self-care, you take a walk in nature, you go listen to the birds singing, you go do yoga, whatever you do, this is you wrapping arms around yourself and saying everything is okay. I must do something that convinces people that doing emotional literacy isn't death. Because <laughs> nobody wants to touch their emotions. It's the one place nobody wants to go to. But if you did this every day for a month, you would change as a human being completely. And all you have to do is, the basic level is you go one, two, three. What three emotions did I feel today? 
And if you start going, well, my friend Sarah said blah, and I went blah, 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 blah. I like, no. Using adjectives that describe emotions, what three things did you feel today? That's a starting point. When you get used to doing that, you might go, name an emotion you felt today. Anything. Anything at all. Happiness. Good. Good man. Happiness. I felt an emotion today when I was on the freeway, and that emotion was fear. <laughs> you don't do slow lane, fast lane, faster lane, faster lane here, do you? You do everybody fucking go lane. Well, that Jesus Christ almighty. None of you are afraid of dying, no? Just me. Um, name an emotion that you felt today. Anticipation. Anticipation. I like it. So. Can we spend 15 minutes a day with a pen and a piece of paper writing these down? Can we do that? Right. Once we've done that, all I want you to do is just explore it a little bit. So to describe your emotions with a little bit of nuance. It was happiness, but maybe it was like a joyful. Uh, maybe I felt a bit silly and childlike and playful. So I'm, you do this with a pen and a piece of paper. Right, like a kid in uh, primary school. It's very good for you. You're like, dee, 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 use colored pens. Just draw and write a mind map and draw it out like this. And if you want to put flowers on it, or you can draw a big penis on it. <laughs> Whatever you want, flower or big penis, it's up to you. And you go through and you start to describe how you feel with nuance. You will come back to yourself. You start to send that operational system of emotional intelligence back on and then you will be able to make decent deceptions, uh, decent perceptions, deceptions, that's a Freudian slip, a decent perception about what's going on. When we're emotionally illiterate, our intuition doesn't function. So without emotional literacy, there is no intuition. How many of you think you have a good, strong, intuitive sense? No, you fucking don't. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing in here on a Sunday night if you've got a good intuition? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. No, you don't. You don't have a good intuitive sense. <laughs> That's I guarantee. That proves it. You're here. And, and this is why emotional literacy, um, it keeps you in connection with your body. It keeps you in connection with the present. Like, because, because a lot of you are scared of your feelings, you can never be here. You can't be present in your body. And it, you can't do threat perception well if you're not present. You can't heal very well. Like physically or psychologically, you can't heal. You need to feel okay just here in this space, including all the emotions. Yes, even the ugly ones. Because <laughs> I get people, I get people saying to me, "Oh, I had I did emotional literacy exercise and I felt anger, and that's wrong, right?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh. <laughs> well, as far as I'm aware, there's no such thing as a wrong or an ugly emotion. Once you've done this, I'm giving you like the slightly more developed, like that's the most basic way of doing it, but." you would actually want to acknowledge the feelings and basically say, it's OK. It's OK. It's OK for me to feel the way I feel. This, by the way, is what your parents were supposed to do. I'm trying to give you techniques to make up for what your parents didn't do. So uh, little boy, he's running around, and he makes a mistake, and he bangs his head on something. And he breaks the thing that he banged his head on. And he's in pain, and he feels sad. So what does he do? Well, he starts to cry. But as he's crying and he goes, he turns to look at me because I'm 
the adult present and I shape the meaning because he hasn't got a fucking clue what anything is. It's all just shapes and colors and things you can break to him or things you can shove in your gob or blow your nose on, apparently. Um, so he looks to an adult for meaning. For us, if we didn't get that, the relationship between me, which is my ego, and my sense of self as in a, 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 in a value system way in terms of meaning, which comes through the superego, either fractures or becomes non-existent. So you can have a non-functioning or fractured relationship with the superego. That's the uh, Freudian psychoanalytic model. The, uh, the, more, um, the more woo model would be like my higher self. We just say higher self. So myself, my higher self. So the higher self is not functioning. The higher self is not offering intuition, wisdom, and guidance. That's the inner parent, to use yet another model. So it's, it's the, they're all saying the same thing. There's a Hawaiian system of healing that, that defines it another way. But it's this kind of thing. There should have been a parent there telling you it was okay. So you're sad. That's okay. You're happy. That's okay. You're scared. It's going to be okay. Reassurance. You're feeling what you're feeling. And the fact that you feel it is okay. So this is really, really critical that you're um, reassuring yourself it's okay. You feel this way and it is okay. When that doesn't happen... Um, you'll end up with uh, perpetual anxiety and your emotions will trigger emotional flashbacks. That's hard work, isn't it? So if you're really stuck in emotional flashbacks, you'll have authentic emotions that are related to today and the fact that you had one will trigger an emotional flashback. Emotional flashbacks are not just like half an hour or an hour and a tightly defined thing. These can become so consistent and so cascading over time that they become like part of your pepper. That's what they do. They become pepper. They become a part of your personality. They become a part of who you are. And so if the emotional flashback is strong, you will show up almost like you have dissociative identity disorder. Today be one person, tomorrow a different, a different person. Not just in terms of your mood, your belief systems will be different. Your value system shifts as the emotional flashback shifts. Your boundaries shift. That's why, by the way, those of you who struggle to get out of negative relationships with people, so you go, this girl, if she does this again, I'm for sure leaving. She does it again, and I'm like, right, I'm going to, I'm not leaving. Shit. Shit. Okay, I'll give you one more chance to go with the other 56 chances that I already gave you. Because in that moment, as I look at her, I'm triggered into an emotional flashback, and the boundary that I created in my mind dissolves dissolves. We don't fight with narcissists and psychopaths. That is a delusion. That is horseshit. The only person you're fighting with is you. It's your emotional flashbacks. That's how you get into abusive relationships. That's what stops you from defending yourself in, uh, in abusive relationships. And it's what stops you from leaving is the emotional flashback. They have no power if you're not flashbacking. No power if you're not flashbacking. They have no power if you're not flashbacking. They will listen. They will. Um, you must reduce the emotional flashback. Everything else uh, is, is redundant if that doesn't happen. Reduce the emotional flashbacks. This emotional literacy exercise, anybody can do it. Uh, there's, there's, there's like in the course, the emotional literacy course, there's more, there's more nuance, but that's the key. You're parenting yourself. If you get good at that, you can crack one out inside of like 15, 20 minutes, do it, leave it, walk away, you will feel better. After a month, 
you will think more clearly. You, you people, me people, will get more in terms of thinking with greater clarity from this than three months of Zen meditation, I guarantee you, because you're cluttered. You're cluttered with emotion. So other people can go and do a mindfulness course or a Zen course and be like, wow, that really switched me on. We'll just be sat there going, I must be doing it wrong. Keeps telling me to meditate and empty my mind, but my mind's full all the time. I don't know why I must be doing it fucking wrong. That's toxic passivity, by the way. I must be doing it fucking wrong. There must be something wrong with me. I'm always wrong. Is the credo of uh, toxified passivity. When malignant um, assertiveness is present, it's I'm always right. which is what your ex said to you. I'm always right. Couldn't be wrong. So you go, I have evidence that you're wrong. And they go, no. <laughs> that evidence is horseshit because I'm always right. That's childish, right? To say I'm always right. Isn't it childish? Isn't that stupid? Isn't that selfish? I'm always wrong. That's wise and clever and enlightened. <laughs> it's OK because I'm a Buddhist. Fuck's sake. I'm always wrong is just as dumb as I'm always right. It's just as childish, it's just as non-functional, and it's just as rigid. Um, does anybody have any quick questions before? Um... What I found in doing the emotional literacy, I literally came to a blank page. Mm -hmm. I came to a blank page. Mm -hmm. I couldn't define myself. Mm -hmm. Even though I could name the emotions, mm -hmm. and I could actually explore beyond those emotions, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to find me. To find right. who I was. I yeah. literally was nondescript. Mm -hmm. And that was, I, I, I actually had, you're talking about you had to back away. Mm -hmm. That shattered me. Yeah. I had to back away from you, mm -hmm. everything you were teaching, which had been leading me on a very positive path. And mm -hmm. when I hit that, mm -hmm. I can feel my emotion coming up now because yeah. it, it erased who I was. Mm -hmm. Did the course erase who you were? It didn't, the realization. What was the realization? That, that I couldn't recognize where I was within the caretaker of everybody, being, you know, everything that I had gone through in my life. Mm -hmm. So that it was, where, where did I begin? So what did doing the course make you realize? Um, that, that the damage was very, very deep, that it had gone on for a very long time, and that I had persevered beyond that, thinking that I was intuitive and optimistic. And I was a healer. That was my business. How crazy ass is that? I was a healer for, and I was so fucked up that. It's very normal. What right did I have to <laughs> yeah. be sitting in that position? Yeah. And people looked to me yeah. for comfort. So it was. Uh, a sort of an illusion shattering experience. A hundred percent. And that's yeah. where that blank, it, it felt very much an illusion, yeah. as if I was an illusion in doing that emotional literacy. Yeah. So, you know, in, and it's just been in the past few months, I've been able to come back to you mm -hmm. to reestablish this connection mm -hmm. and to begin to follow through with this again, because I've been, been through your courses, I've been listening to you, as I said, for a very long time, so it resonates with me very mm -hmm. clearly. Mm -hmm. um, but my... My struggle began with my falseness, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah, it's, um, it's harsh. And it, um, well, one thing I would say is I'm not gentle. No, Because I agree. Um, <laughs> there's no time. Yes, yes. We don't have time. Yes. Like, um, if you can do something, we need all hands on deck. Yes. Um, so there's no time to piss around and sort of go, you know, talk about archetypes or, you know, it just, is it false or is it real? And it's fast which is yes. a jolt, yes. it's a real jolt. Um, 
I think that what you came face to face with is realizing that nobody had let you be yes. at any point in your life and that you've continued that abuse by self-abandoning. Yes, well, and that's right. that really is true. And when you talked about tribe, this is another thing that actually I think that we miss as a culture and just as humans. Mm -hmm. We've lost the ability to, com to, to commune. Mm -hmm. We've lost the ability to find our tribe. Mm -hmm. We've lost the ability to truly be supportive one another. Mm -hmm. um, and that leaves us isolated as individuals, which Absolutely. is contraindicatory to he healing. Absolutely, which is, which is why I think there is this rising tide of narcissistic yes. abusive relationships yes. because everybody feels a lack of love and attention, mm -hmm. which makes you cling to what little islands of love and attention and, you can find. And that's very, very true. And I found that to be true. This is my, I am within and very, I hate this. I truly hate to use the word narcissism because I believe there is such a spectrum of it and mm -hmm. we all have elements, but to, I, I've never, I've never connected with somebody that is so, uh, just bad for me mm -hmm. and clung to it and and the just the the ability to see in myself the weakness do you, do you mind if i ask were you were you raised in a religious environment no actually i was not what kind of that's a personal question ask me anything i i have no qualms sharing was that alcoholism i was i was molested from six years old to 14. okay because something is really burnt out Yes. A lot of the circuits there. Yeah. And that was your way of surviving. Yes. Was to just cease to be. Yes. What is happening to this self is so painful. I'll dissolve the self. And you got really skilled at it. Mm -hmm. And it worked. And it, it helped it, you to survive. Yes. So that's cool. But now. Well, but now this we need other. To kind of well, and this other individual. Do it. Right. Indi this, this, because I, I've looked back at all of the trauma, the massive trauma I've had in my life, and I have coped, I have come through, I have moved through, I have been successful in my life. And one person took me down, mm -hmm. and and a very uh, brown paper bag person, even mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so, so to I'm think. I'm not sure what that means, well, but I can guess from the context. Just, I can guess. Just, just a very uh, uh, on the covert edge. Just yeah. you know, just very, very different. Very, mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm just a good old guy, just mm -hmm. very simplistic. Mm -hmm. But um, what lurked beyond that, and mm -hmm. how it affected me, and really resonated with me with what you said is. It's not, it's not him, mm -hmm. it's me. Yes. It is not him. I don't care that he's a fucking jackass. He is, he is where he is. Yeah. It's me mm -hmm. and how I am reacting to that, mm -hmm. even doing all of these things. They so are. So there needs to be a me for you to say yes. it's me. Yes. And that's going to be the, the challenge yes. is to let that come back online because it was painful. Mm -hmm. So you have a directive there, probably from the superego saying, stay offline. Yes. And now we need to go. Uh, no, it's time to go back online. Right. So acknowledging the fact that that strategy worked and you got really good at it mm -hmm. would be very helpful. Okay. To say, great, thank you. That was fucking awesome. Really helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Don't need that anymore. Okay. I need to be here. Right. And that will hurt sometimes. Yes. Because being present hurts. Yes. That's why, you know, Brene Brown talking about vulnerability, right. being in the moment. Right. It sucks sometimes. Yeah. But if we're armored and frozen, we're basically dead. So you can't thrive, That's right. you can't move past what you've had unless you are open again. Yes. And that means you need to be present. Yes, and, and that, that is a very difficult thing. And I do find that as I become very honest and mm -hmm. vulnerable with myself, mm -hmm. that I find myself very, very intensely stuck at yeah. times to yeah. try to move through that. You're gonna have to be very gentle. Yes, okay. Not the Spartan life coach style. You know, you know though, there is a, I, I, 
I, I appreciate it, Richard. I truly do. I, I really do because I, I'm with you. I don't want the bullshit. I don't want to be here for a year and a half. I, no, but right now we're talking to a frightened six-year-old. Okay. So and that's like what, I, I, what I would give to somebody my age would be just be like, hey, here we go. Let's fucking do this. Blah. Right. Whereas you, if like if that was a six-year-old who's here, I wouldn't talk like that. Yes. So you can't either. Yes. So it needs to be at that level, yes. which is like, okay. Yes. This is what's happened. It's very frightening. It's very disturbing, mm -hmm. but it's finished now and you can start to come Move out. On. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's not, it's, it's about permission to be. So you weren't given the permission That's to be. That's right. In fact, that was taken away from you. Yes. So you're going to have to think in those terms. I'm giving myself the permission to be. Right. Because um, right now the self is shrunk. Yeah, and it really is. This is the first time in my life where I've actually been able to almost identify, to, mm -hmm. and I hate that disaster, or the, the, the double personality, mm -hmm. but I can feel the adult, mm -hmm. on the, and it's very left-sided. The adult is the left side, mm -hmm. the child is the right side, which mm -hmm. is really interesting because the left is usually the motion and the, and the, the, the right side is generally the practical side. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting the dynamic that I am coping and all of this truly is coming from the emotional literacy. It's how mm -hmm. I talk to myself inside versus mm -hmm. how I used to actually talk to myself and not mm -hmm. pay attention. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's key as well is the way you talk to yourself and paying attention. Yes. The way a parent would. Right. Because our way of loving ourselves is the way our parents loved us, or, or, or lack of, or lack of. Yes. So if they were self, if they abandoned us, we'll abandon ourselves. Right. Because the communication is, you're a worthless piece of shit. You yes. go, I'm a worthless piece of shit. Right. I'm not worth fighting for. So one of the key elements of this would be to say, I am worth fighting for. Yeah. yeah. Thank anyway, you. Uh, is this toxic passivity that is being like injected? Uh, on us by teachers, by commercials on Hollywood. Is that creating kind of like a collective inflame universal superego? It's like clogging our mouth with us, without us uh, not even noticing it. Is it clogging what, sorry? Our minds. The collective superego? It's like, it's like creating a collective bad inflamed superego. Like kind of, kind of. I think like what, what you were definitely in a state of collective psychosis, um, 100%. Um, we're definitely very, very agitated. We're extremely depressed and we're bereft of hope. Um, we've lost the, um, we're social creatures. We're social animals. You can't just have a nation of people um, that, are, that is just a big divided tribe. Like you just can't do that. You can't have people not seeing each other, not acknowledging each other and think everything's gonna be okay. It isn't because biochemically we shut down. If you're not being seen, if you're not being spoken to, if you're not being touched, if you're not being held, biochemically, shit starts to go real bad real quick. So we are, we have needs. We evolved a certain way where we've adapted to an incredibly harsh, low resource environment. We've created an incredibly safe, high resource environment, but we've lost each other along the way. And that seems to have been the, uh, the trade-off. So yeah, there is a, a, collective, um, a collective psychosis and probably as culture becomes more narcissistic and psychopathic. I mean, narcissism is cute versus what we have now. It's psychopathic. It's psychopathic narcissism. Um, narcissism alone is like, oh, that's really sweet. You think you're the king? Oh, lovely. These, th this, is, this is way, way beyond that. This is way more serious than that. And that would be no ego, no ego, just superego, no inner critic, just outer critic. So everybody's a savage and everybody's attacking everybody else which kind of looks like the world we're living in now. No gray areas. No gray areas, no. Because to, to the child, to an infant whose superego is inflamed, there are no gray areas. There is only black and white thinking because that's, that's what happens to traumatized people. We're 
uh, as, a, as a people, as a species, we're now living in PTSD. So everything we're seeing is a, is a PTSD response. So everything becomes rigid and catastrophic. I'll just end on that uh, high and happy note. If you're trapped inside of an emotionally abusive relationship, you feel like you can't leave, you will develop toxic passivity. You will become, um, well, you'll become what is called a malignant optimist. So you'll keep hoping that things will get better, even though they won't. So that then breeds a case of a, a state of toxic passivity because you're stuck receiving the abuse. If you're the receiver rather than the transmitter, you're passive. What you're receiving is toxic. So it's a state of toxic, you're receiving toxic waste. Not only is it down to childhood trauma, where they might have had parents who were abusive, who screamed at them or ignored them or were alcoholics or whatever it is. You're fed dreams from the age of zero, from as soon as you can watch TV, you're force fed somebody else's dreams and somebody else's vision of how life should work and what reality should be. And it, it perverts your thinking. So our whole sense of what life should be about is completely fucking off the rails now. Like, in fact, we don't even have a sense of what life should be about. If you're wondering why the world looks the way it does now, it's because we've lost a sense of what life should look like. And nobody seems to really, if everybody within a nation, a culture, a country is completely self-obsessed and is just out for themselves, then the people at the top can get away with anything. The Roman emperors, if they wanted to keep the people, the mob from rioting, they'd give them more free bread and more circuses, more gladiator matches. And that's what we have now. That's what social media is. That's what Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's bread and circuses, it's a distraction. So um, yeah, this is a very fertile breeding ground era that we're living in for narcissistically abusive relationships because nobody has any fucking boundaries anymore. Nobody has any philosophy of life. Nobody has any sense of what their values are. And you can't assert a boundary if you don't have any personal value. So uh, yeah, that's why it's happening like that. Before I, before I get into the second section um, that might be helpful, uh, okay, right. And this, if you've done the, the Heal the Superego course, you'll be, you'll be familiar with this, where what you actually do is you, first of all, you go, I am not my flashbacks. I am not my flashbacks. The second thing that you remind yourself is that you are gonna consciously move towards a good state. How many of you do this on a daily basis, actually think in terms of like an optimal state and moving towards it? It's a useful skill set to have. Um, passivity will lead you to think like, oh, I hope I feel good. I hope something happens that makes me feel good. It probably won't. <laughs> so we have to actively do something that leads us to an optimal state. That's different for everybody. There'll be certain um, like music you listen to. I know for me, for me, it would be like hydration, hit the gym, some music, if I could, uh, you, you guys all know that I do bachata, right? Oh, I love a dance. I tell you what, a little dance. <laughs> Have you listened to bachata music? Yeah. That is a great state breaker. Plus you uh, are in contact with somebody. It's a, it's a close dance that you do. And the music, if it's uh, Dominican bachata, is like really, really upbeat. They're singing like, the words of the songs are like, you tore my heart out, I'll remain forever. <laughs> Trapped in my soul in hell, burning. But the music is like, da -da, da -da, da -da, my hell, my burning soul. It's great. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's, uh, it's hard not, like uh, other people are really into salsa or tango or whatever. I, I, the, the music of salsa just drives me mental. But anything like that, you find your thing. You find your thing that you know is going to put you in a good state and go there consciously. Go there deliberately. Put yourself in a good state for the sake of being in a good state. If you don't, 
the general tendency will be a downward spiral, not an upward spiral. For nobody in this room is here because they generally tend to feel good for no fucking reason. Like it's you're generally on a downward spiral, so we need to do deliberate things to alter the state. I welcome the wisdom that my emotions offer me. <laughs> I welcome the wisdom that my emotions <laughs> offer me. <laughs> I welcome the wisdom that my emotions offer me. If you treat your emotions as uh, like nasty bits and pieces of stuff that are alien to you, you're going to have a not so great relationship with your feelings. If you treat them as messengers that always have a positive intent in the message, jealousy, anger, name it, an ugly emotion, whatever you see as being not for me that you would like to disavow, if you own it and you take a hold of it and you go, this is part of me, it's a message for something. Let me figure out what the positive intent is. That's the emotional literacy course. It gets into that, right? So once you get past this stuff, you start going, what's the emotion telling me? And assume it's positive. I actually don't know whether it is or not. But if I assume it's positive and you do too, your brain will find a positive reason. Why am I feeling fear? Oh, so I don't die on a freeway and disappoint my mum. <laughs> she would be really angry. <laughs> so you welcome the wisdom of your emotions. This is an alternative to the, the old way of doing the emotional flashback exercises and other five things that you could focus on in a hand mnemo uh, mnemonic. I take care of me in order to take care of others because you're codependents, I know you like it. So if I'm taking care of me, wowie, I can be the best codependent ever. <laughs> right? Everybody's like, yes, at last. That's the oxygen mask, yeah, you first. Yeah, you first, yeah, the oxygen mask. You first, others second. You will be better able to serve the rest of your pack, the rest of your tribe, if you're looked after and you're doing bachata every day. That will make you feel happy too. I am my own self. This one, I, as a recovering uh, codependent, I have to uh, do this mantra going into every business meeting. And sometimes in coaching, sometimes in coaching, because I can feel the bleed. I'm like, oh, here's a child who's lost and vulnerable. Like I tell people I work with childhood trauma and they go, oh, you work with children. I'm like, no, I work with <laughs> these children, <laughs> this child. <laughs> Um, so I am my own self is a really, really good one if you're in a triggering situation. I am my own, oh, I want to say now self, wow, own self. I am my own self. So um, in business relationships, I found in the past I'd end up feeling resentful because in the early stages I didn't negotiate well on my behalf and I overgave, hoping that later there'd be a reciprocation, which never comes. Never fucking reciprocate. <laughs> Falling asleep are you, love? Great. I wasn't that horny anyway. Um, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> Turn that off. Um, so I, um, I, I, I do this in, in uh, situations where I would feel my codependency coming up. I am my own self. So um, I'm in a business meeting, somebody's saying something, and my stupid codependent brain goes, oh, you, you could do this for them. You could, you could, and I'm like, I am my own self. They are them. I am me. That's that. If they have a problem, that's a grown up right there. They should fix it. Because if I fix it for them, this is the kind of uh, codependent, toxically passive behavior that poisons relationships. We poison relationships just as much as they do. 
we poison the relationships. Toxic passivity provides the fertile breeding ground for narcissism to take place. It will not take root in a boundaried environment. It can't. I think I just said something smart. Timestamp that. We're going to use that as a YouTube clip. Um, yeah, so toxic passivity is a breeding ground for narcissistic abuse. Narcissistic abuse cannot take place in an environment where there are boundaries, and they cannot have power over you if you are not flashbacking. They cannot. None of them are that powerful, except in the uh, cluster B spectrum, uh, when you're talking about violent psychopaths like a Ted Bundy, who's going to take power over you by putting a gun to your head. However, even he used a bait. Sore arm, sore leg. That's why I pretend to do this. And hang, and hang around a college campus. Hang on a second. <laughs> Whoa. And then he confessed. <laughs> um, so even, even he would use a, a, a lure. But it's rare. It's a, it's a ra these are, that's a rare set of circumstances. And for most of the people in here, that wouldn't be as relevant. as more like an emotional sort of coercion that would be going on. Um, it's important as well to note, uh, this is a note I made that I wanted to, to deliver tonight that I took in my head. Uh, the idea of narcissists as being, um, and your ex-partner as being highly powerful, we've got to start getting rid of that. It's kind of horseshit. Um, it's the Wizard of Oz, it's a silly little man hiding behind a curtain in a land of illusions that he spent years creating. Don't look at the man behind the curtain because you'll see how pitiful he is. This is hard on the ego because that means you and you and you and me got had off by a con artist and they weren't even that good. They were cheap hucksters and we got done. The reason we got done is because we wanted to be. We wanted that. We wanted that. That's not... It's not like a conscious thing. We're not masochists. We're not perverts. It comes down to the uh, traumatizing, the toxic passivity, that which we were raised with. So if you actually, um, I don't know how far everybody is from an abusive relationship in the timeline, but as you get further away and you look back, you'll realize how dumb some of the stuff they did was and how silly it was, and therefore how silly you must have been to have gone along with it. And how, you're silly. I'm silly. We're all silly. <laughs> we'll all hold hands. Um, and, and, it, and it is a kind of a, an emotional immaturity. It's a kind of silliness uh, that is rooted, you know, um, not in this room, but I have run seminars where people have come and they've even openly said to me, I do stupid things in the middle of seminars because I want attention. They want to be silly. Why? Because they've not grown up. We do have a tendency to being emotionally immature. I hope I'm not offending anybody with that, but like emotional immaturity goes hand in hand with codependency and toxic passivity. Because if we were emotionally mature and boundaried, we would have called them out on their shit and sent them packing. Because unless they put a gun to your head, how do they get in your house? How do they get your fucking house keys? In my case, I handed them over. <laughs> You're pretty. Take everything and my money. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in that trance. Um, I'm not proud of it, but like, you know, it happens. But behind that childishness and, and, the, and the kind of silliness and the reaction-seeking behavior, there is a sadness and there's a loneliness. That happened because we were lonely. That happened because we didn't think that a normal, boundary-loving relationship was possible. We probably thought this is as good as it's going to get. This person is showing me attention, and attention is love, even if the attention is bullying, demanding, critical, blah, blah, blah. So this one, um, I, like this, I use this a lot. I am my own self, and I usually follow that up with, this person can deal with their own stuff. They can blow their own nose, wipe their own bottom. I'm not doing that for them. My codependency has limits, man. I'm not doing that. So 
you can, uh, if you take that mantra with you and just remind yourself, this is me, I am me, they are them, that's my dharma, this is my dharma, I've got stuff I've got to do in my life, they've got stuff they've got to do in their life. If I start taking that from them and trying to deal with their dharma for them, that is bad karma. That is bad karma. I will be in pain. They will be in pain. I'm not feeding into, there's an idea in, in Buddhism of a collective good, of a, an enlightenment of the collective consciousness that's supposed to spiral upwards. If I'm doing your work, I'll do your meditation for you. He doesn't want to meditate once they go and write songs instead. Oh, I'll, I'll do it for you. Who am I helping? I'm now sicker. I'm sicker for doing it, and he's weaker for not doing it, for not doing what he should have done. So be very, very careful with um, this neurotic urge to take other people's problems and, and deal with them on their behalf. Now you tell me that. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't give you the last five years back. <laughs> so um, what I've been doing, uh, there's some of you in the room uh, have done coaching with me, this trip of me being around. And uh, a lot of what I've been doing in the coaching is talking to people about adopt, adapting and adopting a moral philosophy. So people will say, well, my husband did this, he said this, and then this happened, and I feel terrible about it. And I'll say, oh, you feel terrible about that. Let's be philosophical. Why? What's terrible? What, well, I just told you, who stole money from me and shagged the yoga instructor and da-da-da-da. So why is that bad? Is it bad? Yes, but why? Why? A lot of us are living now, another element of the toxic passivity is we're living with old ideologies in an age that is post-ideological. Why not cheat? I don't have an answer, by the way. <laughs> like, you guys have to figure it out for yourselves. I'm not Jordan Peterson. I'm not going to pretend that I can give you moral answers or offer you cheap wisdoms. We do not like them. Cheap wisdoms are disgusting. You have to figure it out because it's your moral code. If you had a stronger moral philosophy, if I had a stronger moral philosophy, I never would have gotten into the trouble that I'd gotten into. But I wasn't raised in an environment that gave me a moral philosophy. I didn't have a strong, benign, assertive father figure to say, this is how to live your life. These are questions you all must answer for yourselves, and it's gonna do you way more good than figuring out if your ex is a borderline type two psychopath with two dashes of narcissism, None of that shit matters. For you to get on with your life, develop a moral philosophy and answer the question, if you're taking notes, write this down. What kind of a life do I want to live? This is as important as you doing your emotional literacy exercises. Take notes every day. What kind of a life do I want to live? What is good? What is evil? I come and tell you a story in which my... Uh, my ex was a cocaine addict and she cheated on me multiple times and stole money from me and blah, blah. There's an assumption of morality, of a group morality that we all share, apparently. But when we actually get down to brass tacks, we don't. We don't share it. There is no, the idea of a common morality is, is gone because we live in a post-ideological age. Where are we going to get our moral philosophy from? All the authorities have gone. That's over. Religion isn't going to do it for you because you don't believe. Your politicians aren't going to do it for you because fucking, <laughs> how, how can you believe? You know, there's, nothing, there's nothing to get hold of. So we have to do it for ourselves. I would argue this is a, what, your fa what our fathers, had they not abrogated their responsibilities and left, should have done. They should have said, this is how to live your life. So you need to be daddy inside your own head. 
this, the alternative name for this course is how to be daddy. You need to be daddy inside your own head. You need to assert to yourself, this is good, this is bad. Don't do that, it's morally wrong. Oh well, but you know, it would be cool and I would get money from it or whatever. Don't do it. Or if you're gonna do it, have a strong, if you're gonna do something that is deceptive and goes against your moral values, have a good philosophical reason and think it through. If you need to, you can imagine a weird British guy with a funny accent inside your head going, why are you doing that? Can you tell me? Can you explain to me why you're doing what you're doing? That's a useful exercise. I, I run it in my head all the time. I'd be like, what would I say to, I run the simulation of Freud. What would I say to a Zizek? What would I say? I sometimes use Patrice O'Neill. I use people you know, who I would be interested in the opinions of so that I can philosophically process everything through and go, what? if I believe this was true, if I was an ultra-religious, hard-right, uh, fundamentalist Christian, what would I say about this? Is that right and is it wrong? If I was da-da-da, what would I say about this? Spin it. This is how philosophy used to work. This is, this is what being a, a good philosopher would be. You spin it through from different perspectives. That's the Socratic method, by the way. That's the Socratic method. I need to understand and express your point of view as well as you can before we can debate. Socrates wouldn't let you debate. You wouldn't let two students debate unless student A had defined student B's position to their satisfaction. Can you imagine how many arguments just wouldn't happen if we kept that discipline? So she can go, no, that's not what I, no, I didn't know. And I go, oh, okay, I'll start again. And I'll start again. She'll go, no, that's not what I said. Oh, fucking hell. Eventually I get to what she actually said, and then I'll go, I got nothing to argue with. <laughs> I was going to enjoy that as well. I was going to post about it on Instagram afterwards. So having a strong um, moral philosophy protects you, and it also allows you to make better decisions and moves you forward in life. When we're talking about bringing back the self, and uh, allowing uh, ourselves to have the permission to be, a moral philosophy also helps with that. Because if you don't, when I say moral, don't get caught on moral, like I'm not, I, I don't offer you one. Like do whatever you want. Like whatever your morals are, go ahead and do that. But know why, I, then I will question you. Then I'll be over your shoulder and why are you doing that? If you go, I'm a Satanist and I believe blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's your morality. That's okay. Do you have a good philosophical reason for doing that? Okay, that's what you're doing. That is personal responsibility. You should be able to say, this is why I did what I did. How many of you can? I know I struggle to. If you ask me what I've done in the last 10 years, it'd be like, Ugh. I was like a pinball, like bouncing from bad situation to bad situation, mind flipping out with emotional flashbacks, perceptions going everywhere. Why'd you do it? I'm not even fucking sure. I don't know who I was being on the day that I did that. I went into counseling in 2009, and uh, she was very good. She had me journaling, and I was uh, journaling something, and I went back after a month to reading something I'd written in her journal a month earlier, and I was convinced somebody had hacked my laptop and written it. I was like, I, I don't, who wrote that? Like you did four weeks ago, and it's like, I couldn't have written that. I, I don't think that way, I don't believe any of that to be true, but there it was, in black and white. So. It's important that so when I'm talking moral values, whatever your, in fact, let's, let's say values. You need a value system, right? I would have, um, I, would, I would suggest to you, I don't want to be like a moral sort of a coach. I would suggest to you that you have a sense of what your top three values are. Stick them on your fridge door. Write them on your fridge door. Look at it often. Put it in the bathroom. 
are you for independence, serenity, truth? Like, okay, that would be, I go, I go with that. So every decision, every action, every relationship, am I moving towards my values or am I I'm moving away from them? That gives you guidance. Nobody has any fucking guidance anymore. That's what daddy's supposed to do, by the way. That's what the father figures are supposed to do. Mother is protection, is healing, and daddy is supposed to be guidance. He's also supposed to give you a sense of your willingness to fight for yourself. If you have no values, it's very hard to fight for yourself, because what are you gonna fight for? Uh, my right to scroll through Facebook and argue with strangers. That's that, like, people's self-esteem is shot to shit, because we live like slobs, <laughs> and we just ingest garbage. Uh, psychologically and perhaps even in, in terms of nutrition and then we feel like shit and then we feel like we're not worth fighting for and it's a cycle so we feel like shit like we're not worth fighting for so we keep doing shitty things we're not breaking the cycle we have to break the cycle the only way to break a cycle is by saying stop when you say stop or you say no that is a boundary boundaries are your friends boundaries are good emotional flashbacks bad if you only remember one thing emotional flashbacks bad Boundaries, good, the end. So if you're engaging in um, self-interested action, you'll know, like, okay, so let's, let's get this clear. Don't be a lazy, dumb consumer. That's not self-interested action. You could say, but it's my right to, and I want to. I want to watch hours of Netflix. Yeah, you do, but you're succumbing to your baser nature. You're succumbing to uh, the parts of yourself that you don't want to keep strong. Um, this goes back to Greek moral philosophy. You want to act with discipline and appeal to your higher nature. So don't be a lazy, dumb consumer. Think in terms of your values. Apply self-discipline. Consider what your way of life should be. How should I live my life? What do I want my life to look like? What kind of friends do I want to have? What do I want to do for work? Do I want to work? That's a question some Californians need to answer. Ooh, meow. <laughs> um, and making sure that you are being strong, benign, assertive, daddy-like in this area of your life. That will breed authenticity in you. This is what everybody is starving for. When people say, oh, I really love your videos, I really love your videos, you're so authentic. I'm like, oh, okay. People say it again and again and again. So I'm like, okay, so then we're thirsting for something. And that's one of the things I think people are thirsting for is authenticity. Why? Because Toxic passivity is entitlement, an externalized locus of control, no values, just junk values. Junk values are like narcissism. Narcissism has now become a cultural value. You will be rewarded in this culture for being a narcissistic dickhead and going, look at me, look at me. I've got my thong shoved up my ass, which I do. <laughs> Rampant consumerism, uh, just scrolling through social media and feeling frustrated and angry that you didn't get what you wanted. You feel the frustration and the anger in the air, right? Everybody's like cranky and frustrated. This is the social media effect. This is the consumerism effect. This is the toxic passivity effect. We're kind of sold an idea. Do this, do this job, get in this relationship, be a good little boy, be a good little girl. You're gonna get a reward someday. And then you're like, my reward's not coming, is it? Nope, we fucking ripped you off. So you're frustrated and you get angry. But it's, I'm talking like culturally now, it's, it's across the board. If you are living on your own terms and making your own decisions and you have serenity in your own life and you have a moral philosophy, a value system, and somebody encroaches on it, you will tell them to stop. 
I don't teach self-assertiveness anymore. I'm not going to teach you how to say no to people. It's unnecessary. I only need to encourage you to develop a moral philosophy. You handle the self-assertiveness. You'll handle it. What words should I say? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. How should I be? What state should I be in? Doesn't matter. This is the same as when I used to do martial arts teaching. And people are like, if somebody comes with a left hook, what do I do? Doesn't matter. Principles-based. You act on principles. The principles of martial arts would be the same thing as like a value system in philosophy. So as long as you're adhering to the principles, just do whatever. And don't worry, like if you fuck it up, don't worry about it. If you're asserting your boundaries and you start crying in the middle of it, don't fucking worry about it. As long as you do something, don't just freeze and fawn and let it happen and think I'll sort it out later. Say something, do something. Actually take an action. Don't just sit back and let it happen. As you get more practiced in self-interested action, this will get easier. What I recommend that you do, please do this within the next three days. Don't let it go longer than the next three days. Write down maybe eight to ten of your values. There are whole lists online of values that are like 500 words long. This is how you, I would recommend doing it. Um, pick 20, chop it down to 10, and then prioritize the 10. Pick 20 you like, cut it in half to 10, and then prioritize the 10. And then try and get down to your top five values. Whittle it down like that. Top five values. And your top three, top five, have them in the car, have them on the fridge, have them on the mirror. That's who you are. If you believe in freedom, if you believe in justice, if you believe in whatever it is, whatever your, whatever your value system is, that's who you are. That's because that's what, in times gone by, I think, like, and I'm talking over uh, 100 to 200 years ago, I think what fired people up was different. I think religion functioned differently, value systems functioned differently, and politics functioned differently. And people must have been in a different energetic state. The reason why I think this way, philosophically, is because of how horrendous the punishments had to be to stop them. Remember in medieval England, the kind of shit they do to people to stop them? It was gruesome. Like, if you showed me the instruments, I'd be like, oh, no. You can pinch me and I'm going to give up. Like, nobody can, nobody can tolerate it. I think we used to live in a different emotional state and a different physiological state. And it would be values-based. So people would kill each other in horrible ways over the way, like, the Bible was written, or if it was written in one language or the other, because that was critical. And they would die willingly in horrendous ways. And then everybody would go, yay, awesome. You believe in writing in Spanish instead of in Latin. You got burned to death. Do you imagine people doing that now? Nobody's going to fucking do that now. So we must be, in our essence, historically, different than the creatures we see today. Passive, quiet, toned down. You know, you only have to hear a police siren and people shit themselves. Oh, the police. I'm like, it's just a bit calm down. Just some people doing a job. Chill out. We're terrified. We jump at shadows now. That's how passive we've become. But this can't be who we were because our history doesn't look like that. Every period in history, governments were terrified of their people. I don't think they are now. If I wanted to punish this country, I wanted to punish the UK. If I was a dictator, I'd just switch off the internet. Seriously, could you imagine? You want to fuck with me? There's your internet off. Just 24 hours, that's going to teach them a lesson. No Facebook. <laughs> people would be crying. People would be in total emotional distress. Gabor Mate points out we are now in a, um, it's, what does he call it, like an attachment disorder relationship with our phones. It, it becomes attachment trauma because this brings pleasure and pain. 
It's adrenaline and cortisol and drama and all kinds of other things come through the phone too. Not when I use it, of course. <laughs> so you want to make sure that you have something that you are prepared to fight for, that you are prepared to live for. What's the old saying? If you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. You really want to be thinking in terms of what would I die for? Most people at least have like kids or family. There are still things that people will fight and die for. It doesn't usually include themselves, which is sad. You should be prepared to fight and die for yourself the way you would for family members or, or kids. So you need to start defining that. On the codependent or echo end of the spectrum, the victim of narcissistic abuse, they're toxically passive. So then we would say the narcissist or psychopath is malignantly assertive to the extent that within that relationship, they're asserting a certain doctrine onto the person who's receiving it. They're asserting certain patterns of behavior. They even assert new beliefs. So if you have weak beliefs and weak values, they can scoop them out and insert junk beliefs and junk values into you instead. So if it's a professional relationship and I'm gonna make you famous or I'm gonna make you rich, you'll accept it to get what you want. If it's a, a love or a sexual relationship, you'll accept it because of the love and intimacy, the dopamine, the serotonin, all the bonding chemicals that you're receiving. So if they can get a hook into you, they can assert uh, malignantly their worldview onto you. Again, that's at an individual level, at a broader level, this is what we see in media, this is what we see in politics. Some really nasty people are imposing an extremely dark version of reality onto the masses. And the masses just sit there and lap it up because they don't have the strength to say, no, I don't want that, that's horseshit. So in this section, I wanna uh, discuss with you uh, briefly the elements of your life that um, are gonna cause the most uh, drama, the most upset, the most difficulty, tend to be the most intimate elements. So it will be things like sex and love and money. Very few people have huge arguments that last years over like who won at Uno. Um, but you know, if you throw like some proper money into the mix, people will go at it for a long time. If there's cheating, if there's infidelity or heartache, it goes on for a long time. I also want you to develop a philosophical outlook on these subjects and give yourself clarity. When it comes to sex, my suspicion is a lot of people who are codependent probably don't have a fully realized sexual identity because if you are not permitted to be and you're not permitted to, you're not permitting yourself or you're never permitted to want what you want, your sexuality has probably developed in a way that goes around that, that's edited. I think everybody's, I think culturally, I think actually we're still quite repressed generally. And most people have a heavily edited um, sexuality. Something to consider, something to explore um, as you're doing your journaling, as you're working through your notes over the next couple of days. What I asked you to do in the last section was to write out your values. I didn't finish that. As well as the values, please write down some goals. Write down some goals and look at those goals in relation to your value system. Look at the things in your life that you actually want. There are certain terms that a two-year-old learns that codependents don't. I want, it's mine, no. I want, it's mine, no. So you'll be, I don't know what I want. I want what you want. 
it's kind of mine, but you can have it. What does no mean? I want. Write that down. I want. It's mine and no. You've got to learn what a two-year-old knows. That's how uh, far back the damage goes because you are not allowed a self. So these are, I want, it's mine, and no is critical to ego formation. Thank you, Dr. Freud. He did get some things right, God bless him. And the things he got right were pretty fucking important. That's boundaries. This is mine, it's not yours. No. So we need to learn how to do that. For me, in business, learning to say it's mine has been very, very difficult. Because I'm like, no, I'm a Buddhist, man. We just share. It's the material world. Don't hold on, man. And then I'm like, oh, I'm fucking broke again. I'm really pissed off because I got ripped off again. Where's the common denominator? It's here. It's me. I'm the common denominator. It's my money. <gasps> what a taboo. It's not their money. It's my money. This is healthy. That's a healthy uh, thing to be able to say. In terms of your, I'm not going to go too deep into the sex drive. That's a Freudian slip. But I got a snort. That's a, I got a snort. <laughs> yes, I'll take it. Um, there also needs to be ownership. There also needs to be this is me. It's not about what my ex-boyfriend, my ex-girlfriend seemed to want. It's not about what my parents would think was, was acceptable. This is, um, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of fluff, but it's fun. And it's in the right direction. You should actually look at it. Uh, the people with the least developed in my coaching experience, uh, sex, uh, sexualities, counterintuitively, are men. Men tend to be very, very, very hev heavily edited on the sexuality front. Because it's, well, you, if I said to you, uh, there was an article I read the other day, and it was talking about women celebrating their sexuality, you'd go, that sounds normal. If I said there was an article the other day, talking about men celebrating their sexuality, you'd go, hey, <laughs> they don't have a sexuality. They're robots, and they lost, and that's it. Not true. Um, so this is important, but more as an exercise in you just filling that space and going, oh, this is what I'm into. This is what I like. This is what excites me, blah, blah, blah. That's a good thing. Love, I would like you to actually define it. I want you to define it in terms of what you think love should be in your most idealistic, most romantic way. And then I want you to define it in what you have seen in your past. So you're like, love should be the sharing of experiences between two people who admire and love one another. But my experience of it is pettiness, point scoring, and trying to murder each other slowly with resentment over time, <laughs> whilst eating each other's dreams. Sorry, I'm flashbacking. Yes, yes, okay. So please do define this. If you are a business person, if you are looking to make money, um, you're gonna have to deal with your issues around money before you set a foot in that arena. Otherwise, you're really, really gonna struggle or you'll make a load and you'll find somebody to give it to. You just toss it away. Or another good way is cocaine. Uh, just <laughs> keep snorting it. Can I have more? Here's more money. Cocaine's another really good way of getting rid of cash. Offer it to me because I'm kind and I'll deal with it for you. Don't need that. I'll get rid of this. <laughs> so if you are in toxic passivity, as far as love goes, you'll be stuck in one day my prince will come, one day my princess will come. 
There are no princes, no princesses. We're not fucking royalty. There are no nobles in this room. And if we were, we'd all be a bunch of weird inbred perverts. Uh, <laughs> I can just say whatever I want. It's because I have a British accent. Nobody challenges me. I'd say anything, anything. <laughs> Donald Trump has beautiful titties. Uh, next point. Um, <laughs> so yeah, too much. Um, if you're coming from uh, self-interested action or that um, benign assertiveness I was talking about, instead of being in story and the rescue fantasy and being unboundaried, you can come instead from a place of uh, uh, realism, reality, that is boundaried and is value-supported. Where Wouldn't it be cool like if somebody had said to you, if you get into a relationship, it's going to be an intimate relationship, you're going to see the other person's shadow self. Don't worry, that's normal. That's kind of useful, right? Like We should all probably learn that. So that like three months in, we don't freak out and start going three in the morning, is he a narcissist? Like, or is it something else, you know, like a normal part of being a human being? Instead of being stuck in story, as far as love goes, you want to remain in reality. It's really important that we deal with our emotional flashbacks. I've mentioned that once or twice. But the emotional flashbacks that you'll get around love and, and sexual intimacy are going to be very, very intense. They need to be dealt with if you want to have a chance of it working. Instead of fighting truth, which is what I see people doing in love, men and women, when they come for me uh, for coaching about romantic relationships, they fight truth like fuck. They fight hard against truth. You accept it. You accept the truth. Fighting against truth and fighting against your emotions can lead you to a very negative place psychologically. There are personality disorders, like borderline personality disorder, that is all about fighting truth, fighting against the invasion of truth and fighting against the perceived invasion of emotions. So you can start vectoring in for some pretty nasty places if, if you do that. Um, as far as the uh, sexual element goes, instead of being edited, dishonest, and repressed, start to aspire for unedited, authentic, and expressed. If you have a partner, or you're going to, you might want to toy with the idea of telling them what you want. <gasps> Try it. Let's see what happens. Maybe you'll both have a lot of fun. Um, in terms of money and business, if you're coming from toxic passivity, you may act from loneliness, emotionality, or flashbacking. You may be hoping for what you want instead of just asking for it. Money and business. Be professional. I know that sounds facile, but there is a concept called being professional, and it is there to provide a code of conduct that protects you, protects your money, and protects the people you're working with. Don't be silly. Don't be over-friendly. Don't be childish. Don't bring that codependent, reaction-seeking <laughs> mode of being. Be really dry. Be really professional. Be really, really clear. Ask for what you want. Um, don't come from guilt and shame. You want to be coming from a place where you feel okay about wanting what you want. If you're struggling with wanting what you want and you're flashbacking over that, you must deal with that first before you try and uh, engage in any kind of business. There's um, an affirmation I wrote down here. Some people like affirmations. When it comes to that kind of thing, you could be affirming to yourself, I have the right to succeed. When I win, everybody wins. As a career codependent, the only way I could make this business flourish, and it is a business, is by saying, I only win when everybody else wins. I couldn't. I'm a capitalist. I'm happy with that. But I need to know that people are getting something out of it, because otherwise I'd feel a bit sucky. I don't want to feel a bit sucky. That's the worst emotion to feel, a bit sucky. I'm going to sit down. 
Um, if you have any questions, now would be the time to ask. In fact, I'm not going to sit down because we're going to need to give you the mic. We've got about five minutes to ask questions and then uh, we need to wrap it. I think at the start you mentioned that you were going to talk about us being stuck in our story. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've heard too much about that, but having tried therapy, I don't know that it's working or that mm -hmm. it's just taking too long. What I did was I provided you ways that would mean that you wouldn't be addicted to your story anymore. Okay. So being addicted to telling the story and being in the, in the story cycle, you keep that mic, you're not done. What else did you want to ask me? There was something else there. You were about to speak and then I said something. So you're in therapy, you're telling your story and what's happening? I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the therapy is not moving. Here for that reason, right? Therapy, the way that it's structured. Keep holding I, there. I don't, I don't think that it's um, giving us the necessary tools to deal with that. Right. I got asked a really good question in the break, which is, uh, you can keep hold of it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's triggering. Um, which is, uh, um, how do I stay motivated uh, doing this? And um, actually, uh, grandiosity. I have grandiose uh, visions. I don't think that I don't think it's toxic grandiosity, but my grandiose my first online business was uh, called Street Fight Secrets, and I wanted to change the way people did self-defense by making it more about the psychological elements than the physical. And I was relatively successful with that. This one was I want to change the face of psychotherapy. I want to change the way people do counseling. That's a really ridiculously grandiose objective, but it is possible. And that's what keeps me motivated because you would come to me and therapists come to me and they say, how do I, how do, I do this? It's not, it's not working. And I think this one key element of the idea that you keep telling your story and then you're going to get better, like it's, it's ridiculous. It is laughable. Like if I go to the doctor and go, my knee hurts, and he goes, okay, come back and tell me tomorrow that your knee hurts. Um, <laughs> my knee, it still fucking hurts. He's like, well, how did you injure it? Why don't you tell me how you injured it? And then the knee will hear how it got injured and magically, like, how, how's that supposed to work? I knew you had more, I could feel it. But how do you, okay, so how do you deal with the duality? Because there is, you know, you're arrogant, mm -hmm. right, confident person that goes out there and says, I'm gonna go do X. And there's that other person that says, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? <laughs> how do you deal with the, uh, the fear, the insecurity that you can't do it? Right, well, the, the duality, because there, at least for me, it feels like there's this one person that says, I can do anything, mm -hmm. and then there's that other person saying, nope. The other person that's saying no is the inner critic. It's a toxic inner critic, and that needs to be healed before you can move forward. So just say to your therapist, I need to heal my toxic inner critic, and they'll go, oh, yeah, we know how to do that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and it requires a self-parenting process. So I haven't called it that because people would be put off by it, but all of this is what your parents, a good parenting upbringing would give. So this is kind of reparenting. I've mentioned it in little bits, but it's a kind of a reparenting process. You have a voice inside of your head that is a, a recording of voices you heard in childhood that said, no, not for you. Maybe for everybody else, but not for you. You hang back, you wait, it's not for you. You're always wrong. That's what the voice is, is playing out. This will help with that. It will help with that. There needs to be some work done specifically on dealing with the superego. I do have a course out called Heal the Superego. Have any of you done that? Is it, is it good? It's great. It is good. Why don't you message me afterwards and uh, I'll send you a copy.
Um, it takes about a month to do. It should it should help. It should help. Yeah. Yes. Grab it. That was a that was a codependent thing happening right there. We're both balancing the mic. Who should take it? It's not mine. I'll hold it for you. No, go on. <laughs> doing well mm -hmm. which happens and I'm really happy about that and then there's a little voice that says don't, don't be grandiose but, okay so um, let's change it you can be grandiose okay. if your intent like my intent is not I'm not like grandiose I want to change the face psychotherapy so that I can be like Anthony Robbins and live in a castle and ride around a big fucking yacht I just want to help people whose lives suck so like people come to I've, I've been criticized in the media recently uh -huh. and uh, somebody was saying oh you're uh, you're you're um, taking advantage of people who are vulnerable, and I'm like, that is not that's not what this would look like if mm -hmm. I was doing that. Mm -hmm. I have examples I can show you of people who are multi fucking millionaires who do do that. I said to him, I'm trying to stop people from killing themselves. Yeah. That's my aspiration. So in one sense it's grandiose, mm -hmm. but in another sense it's real. Like I just don't want you to fucking take your life today. That's where I start the intention from on a YouTube video, and then from there okay can we make people feel more hopeful can you make them laugh can you make them see that there's something funny about the situation can you tell them a silly story so they forget and then can you offer them a strategy so they can deal with it that's not what like exploitation fucking looks like man no, so think... grandiosity can be a good thing well the finger tapping helps and mm -hmm. I go through the, the five and then mm -hmm. I like bringing all the fingers together that you advise mm -hmm. because then I rem it reminds me that it's all something that eventually is going to be, be one be one mm -hmm. and then um, I'm doing the exercises and I still have little, you know, panics and things and then they go away and I'm like, okay, good. Um, but when I look at the future, because mm -hmm. now I'm thinking, okay, I can do this. And I say, okay, I have to let go of all of this other stuff so that I can go forward. Mm -hmm. And that feels excellent. Uh, then I go, um, what if it's... What if I fall back? Mm -hmm. And so I'm at the point where I say, well, you only fall back if, if, you, if that's your goal at this point. I would, I would deal with that a different way. Okay. Has anybody else had that fear, like you make progress and then you're going to fall back? Um, if you had a strong uh, father figure in your life, there would be a directive running in your software that would say, everything is going to be okay. Whatever happens, you can deal with it. You can write that shit down. Everything is going to be okay, and whatever happens, you'll deal with it. These are almost have them as like affirmations. So, so this, like, we're artificially trying to put back in through language a sense of feeling that should already be there. So there's a lack of trust in yourself, and you're like, where this is going so well, I'm healing. Where could it go wrong? It must go wrong. There must be some catastrophic element to it. So everything is going to be okay, which is a good thing to tell yourself. You could be like, what if it's not? Like, it's still better to tell yourself everything is going to be okay, no matter what's going to happen. And actually, it works. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Whatever happens, I'm going to deal with it. So say you fall off mm. badly. Mm. What would you do? Okay. Would you send me an email? <laughs> you have a person who you know who's pretty good at this shit. Yeah. You have resources, you have friends, you have somebody you can send an email to, you have a bunch of courses that you can come back to and go, hmm, emotional literacy, emotional flashbacks, where, you know, where, what part of the puzzle am I missing out on here? Mm -hmm. 
you're actually further along than you think. It's just you're so far along, you're like, I can't fucking believe this. Something needs to break. As you build reference experiences, that feeling will go away. But in the meantime, everything's going to be okay. okay. I can handle it. Whatever happens, I'm going to deal with it. So, um, and then when I'm looking at the good part, I'm like, I am stronger than I thought. Good. And that's excellent. So thank you good. so much. No problem at all. I can take one more question, and then we need to wrap. Yes. Um, thanks. Um, this is kind of personal, but um, oh. is that okay? If I <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I've been listening to your uh, your YouTube videos for mm, a year and a half, a couple of years, but yep. I've never really dug into the courses or anything, and I suffered, I, I was with someone who, um, from everything I've listened to and, and learned about um, narcissist. I, I, I'm not a doctor, but he, he was, he, he remind, he's more of like the malignant narcissistic type. Mm -hmm. So I went through three, three years of that. And I thought, well, once he was removed out of my life that I would just recover. That's mm -hmm. kind of, and watch some videos and everything, you know, would get better. But I really have to say, I don't feel that I am getting better. Right. I, I see myself very quiet. Yeah. Um, sad. Yeah. Don't feel ambitious. Yeah, I, I get through life. So, um, my question just is like, and I also uh, have not really dug into your courses. So my question is, if you've suffered that level of abuse, do you feel like it? You you really need to to go into therapy. I mean, you can't, or do you think I could help myself by doing courses and? Do you, do you know what I'm... I am, do. Am I clear about what I'm asking? Yeah, I think so. So I'll start with the initial part, which is um, you uh, diminutized and diminished the effect of what was done. We all do that because we diminutize and diminish ourselves. And it's, it's kind of an embarrassing thing. You think, well, what happened? Somebody was mean to me. My boyfriend was mean to me. Well, okay, I didn't get stabbed. For me, in my process, as you said it was a personal question, I'll give you a personal answer. I had to actually say the words to myself, my ex-girlfriend kicked the shit out of me. I, I, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, beat me to pieces. If she could have caused me to die, she would have. If she had the power to do it, she had that much maliciousness, she wanted me to be dead, right? Either like walking dead, spiritually dead, or actually kill myself. That's how serious it was. Does that resonate? Absolutely. Okay, so that admission is like our first step. It's like if this is Alcoholics Anonymous, we have to go, oh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> so I got the fuck, did you all get the shit kicked out of you? Anybody else in here get the fucking shit kicked out of them? Battered to pieces. Now, I've been in fights where I got beaten up and then I laughed it off inside of a month. When you get the shit kicked out of you spiritually, it fucks you up for a long time. And if something isn't brought into that space, I don't think you heal. In fact, CPT, if you, you then have PTSD, which is complex PTSD. Over time, that can get worse, not better. So you actually do need some help, whether it's therapy or some kind of intervention, you definitely need some kind of help. One of the symptoms I've seen is I already was dealing with uh, anxiety mm -hmm. and uh, claustrophobia, things like that. And, but I was a, I got a lot worse, mm -hmm. and I'm sort of stuck. That's Every insecurity or problem you had before, all the old wounds we ripped open, 
everything that you were dealing with before that would be 10 times worse. So we kind of form as personalities around our wounds and we patch things up and we get together and we hobble through life. You're supposed to get with somebody and then you kind of hobble together and help each other out. You're not supposed to open up wounds and toss salt, salt in them. In yeah, but that's what they do with full intentionality and malicious intent. That's what was done to you. And I'm saying it like this, it sounds very harsh, but the healingness of what I'm saying is you can acknowledge what was done to you. And then we go, okay, this is my zero point. I actually had the shit kicked out of me. Of course my confidence is bad. Of course I'm quiet now. I didn't even know that that existed. I didn't know people used love to get inside of another person's head to fucking wipe them out spiritually. I know that was a thing. That's a horrible thing. You don't see it much in movies. Like if somebody pulled a gun on you and said, give us your money, you've been watching that in movies for a long time. This is weird alien territory where you're like, is this even real? And then you talk to people and it's so unknown. They go, no, it's not real. Go talk to your doctor, doesn't, doesn't exist. Talk to a psychotherapist. If they're from a different school, they'll go, narcissism, narcissism doesn't exist. This is a myth, a conspiracy theory on the internet. So then you have secondary abuse, tertiary abuse, and it's real strong stuff. So you're doing okay. You're doing just fine. But you probably should go a little bit deeper into the course having realized that, hey, this, this has really gotten into me, definitely. Does that help? Yeah. Thank you very much. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for coming out on a Sunday night. You can ask me afterwards. Thank you very much for coming out on a Sunday night. Cheers, guys. Thank you. If somebody who's watching this is actually in a toxic relationship right now, approach this from a position of a moral philosophy. So to be philosophical about the situation, leave psychology alone for a minute, for a week, for two weeks. Don't, don't try and read and input too much. Start from where you are, write. Journal, what do you think is right? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? What is the purpose of life? And you might be thinking, that's not very fucking helpful for somebody who's actually stuck right now in a bad relationship, they need to get out. They won't. They won't get out, no matter what psychological advice I give them, if they don't value themselves and they can't think clearly. So they need to start from a place of having a moral philosophy. They're stuck in that relationship because their moral philosophy has been smashed to the floor. We start with like simple, this is where boundaries come from. Lying is wrong. Yes or no? Yes, I write it down. Lying is wrong. Telling the truth is good. Why is lying wrong? Why is telling the truth good? Okay, we got it, got it, good. Then my husband lies to me and instead of going, oh, it's fine, he didn't really mean it, I'll go, no, lying is wrong. That's a boundary. Because he's done that and I have a moral philosophy, I can now act appropriately. Without the moral philosophy, you have mush. That's where exactly where he wants you. That's exactly where a narcissist or a psychopath wants you. That's where, you know, uh, for, for the men who are in abusive relationships with women, that's exactly where your partner wants you, to have an unclear idea of what right and wrong is. Over time, anybody who's been in an abusive relationship will attest to this, your own sense of right and wrong starts to shift because you've spent so much time with them and they've been slowly corroding your moral philosophy from the get-go, such, such whatever moral philosophy you may have had. So. Um, we know that this is the place to start from that's going to make it the easiest to escape.